Good morning, friends. Welcome to our 945 worship service on this, the first Sunday of Lent. It's good to be together in God's house. Uh, many of you in the room, uh, you know, it's the 945 service. Some people think it's the 950 service, so I know there are more coming, but anyway. <laughs> we're talking about them. They're not even here yet. It's great. Anyhow, welcome, welcome to the many, we know more of you joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. Uh, look around, some of you are visiting with us. We're really honored to have you with us. Would you come back and worship with us again? Uh, we have members of the Reconciling Ministries uh, Network board with us today. They've been meeting our building. Welcome to you guys. Glad that you're here. Thank you for your work. My name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. I hope you'll take a chance to look through your bulletin at all the exciting things happening. Um, we do have Lent small groups starting this week. You'll want to check those out. And we also have two special programs this week. On Wednesday, the Wednesday Bible Study is featuring Dr. Hugh Floyd, our very own music director. He will be leading on the Bible and music. Um, so I hope that you'll check that out. That's at 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock. You can come to either session. And then on Thursdays, our on Thursday, our congregational care ministry team has a special program called Ending Well. Um, I know it's something we don't always want to talk about or think about, but it is something that can be a blessing um, to our families. So I hope that you will take a look at the details in that and join us for that program on Thursday as well. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us prepare our hearts for worship.
family of God, let us join our voices now as we confess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. as we begin this season of Lent, it is a good and right thing for us to come before one another and before God to confess our sins. So please join me in the prayer of confession in your bulletin. Our minds and hearts are consumed by busyness and brokenness. Pride and rancor shout loudly in our lives. We want to see as you see, to see ourselves as vessels of your love, to see and be kind to others. We want to hear as you hear, listening to the least of these, those wounded, debated, blamed, and left out. Free us from all bondage, free enough to be reconciled to you and with others. Consume our hearts and minds by your grace. Friends, here we can sit and we can be open and we can listen to hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, beginning in the ninth verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. 
and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Marcia, thank you for this reading. It is the um, opening scene in Jesus' uh, wonderful, controversial, beautiful ministry. Uh, Jesus comes to reconcile us to God. Jesus comes to reconcile us to one another. And it's a hard task that he has before him. I love the way uh, Barbara Brown Taylor narrates it, is that uh, God's in heaven and God's looking down at the shenanigans going on down on earth. And God's so disappointed. There's so much tension. There's violence. People are mean to each other. And God thinks, oh, what am I going to do with these people? But then God notices the exception to all of this is with a baby. With a baby, people become gentle and tender, and God has this idea I will become a baby. Maybe that will help. So God shares this idea with the uh, cabinet of the archangels. And they see immediately that it's a stroke of genius. But they say, we'd rather you not. We, we'd worry about you. There are no safety measures. Not sure that's a good idea. But they see that God's dead set on doing it. So they break into applause. And then as she put it, God shed his divine robes, the midnight blue mantle crumpled to the floor, the stars collapsed in a heap and opened up to them as a view of earth. There was a scrubby field speckled with sheep, and as they saw the sheep, they heard in the distance the cry of a baby. <laughs> so risky. Of course, what Jesus discovered after he was a baby, but even when he was a baby, is that people are hard and calloused, and they prefer their old two-bit life to the new life that God offers. They'd rather kill Jesus than discover their true hidden joy that's been eluding them. The fact is, we all live in relationships that are probably best uh, uh, described uh, with the adjective complicated, complicated. Uh, talked to a buddy of mine this week. We've talked forever. We've never talked about our marriages. He described his marriage. Man, is it complicated. And uh, that was revealing. It reminded me of uh, a couple weeks ago, I did my Bible study on the Bible and marriage. A uh, friend of mine, retired pastor, sent me an email when he saw that advertised, and he said, oh, here's some wisdom you should share with your group. He said, my wife and I have been married for 42 years. He said, it's been great. He said, and the reason it's been great is that we, we made a vow to each other the first week of our marriage is that every week we would set aside a day for something fun. We'd go dancing. We'd go get ice cream. We'd go for a hike. One day a week, something fun. He said, uh, she takes Tuesday, I take Wednesday. So there's so much snarky humor about marriage because it's complicated. I taught my class on Bible and marriage. And somebody came up to me after eleven and said, why didn't you talk about the happy marriages in the Bible? And I said, show me one. <laughs> They're a mess. And why is all of that in there? God wants us to read not about happy marriages, but these really complicated, quirky 
difficult things was God's purpose in this, uh, the purpose that I had with my children. I thought, I want to help my children. So instead of saying, don't do these four dumb things, instead, my strategy was, I'll tell them the dumb things that I did, and they won't repeat them. Well, two of my children said, oh, Dad, thank you very much for warning us about that. My third child thought, that sounds like fun. <laughs> is a part of the divine mercy. It happens in friendships. You have friendships, you think, oh, we're friends, but then it gets complicated because you talk politics one day and you say, you voted for him? Are you joking? Or you have a lifelong friend and they're part of you know, one of these Methodist churches that is disaffiliated from the denomination. Like, what? How could things get kind of, you have a complicated relationship with yourself and you needn't nod. I know that you do. And my question to you is when you look in the mirror, I mean, you know, what do you see there? Do you look in the mirror and think, wow, I dig that guy? I don't think many do that. I think we look in the mirror and you, what do you do? You kind of avert your gaze. So you just don't look that long or you cringe a little or you think, I need to lose some weight or I'm looking old now or something. I like the song uh, in the musical Waitress where uh, she's probably married the wrong person and has lived and endured a lot of pain in her life, and she says, I'm not the girl that I used to be. Are you the person that you used to be? Um, Ash Wednesday, I, I got to come twice, treated to two great sermons uh, that I think dealt with this. Taylor, Rod Barefoot in her sermon talked about <laughs> Part of our complicated relationship with ourselves, right, is that we get fixated on what other people think about us, like our image becomes so important. And she says, I hope we will walk out of here as those who are marked, as those who aren't hiding from the fact that we live in a broken world. These 40 days are a chance to face the hard question, what's keeping me from God? And then Uyan Kim also said these great words. The, I love this phrase. These ashes are a gentle whisper that says, it's not about you. Repent and believe in the gospel is a strong rebuke to our tendency toward guarding our own image rather than growing in the image of God. Complicated relationships. We have a complicated relationship with money. The church is here to help you with this when we pass the offering plate. What do we make of money? Is it, it's, it's my status. It's my status compared to other people. It's uh, like this albatross of money. What do I do with it? So many decisions. What do I buy? Is it, am I, it's just such a weight. Uh, we have a complicated relationship with the world. You know, the news comes on, just turn it off, avert your gaze. Or you pay attention to it, and it's so depressing. But then you think, I'll do something to change the world, but then you try to change the world, and you know, no good deed goes unpunished, and then that's painful as well. We have a complicated relationship even with God, don't we? Some of it's because we have misunderstandings of what God's trying to be for us. I have a niece named Katie. She has the coolest work ever. Uh, she, she does search and rescue. So she usually, used to do this in Yosemite in the winter. People go hiking in Yosemite in the winter and like they can't get out of there. And she would go find them and pull them out. Now she's doing this in Antarctica. Like, man, she has the coolest jobs. And we think God's like that. Like, you're not thinking about God that much, but then you get in trouble and you send out the SOS and God search and rescue, finds you, hopefully gets you out of trouble. Or we have this view that God is kind of this, you know, mild-mannered, 
dole her out of little presents. Here's a present for you. Oh, thank you, God, very much for that little present that you delivered to me. All of these complications add up to our sin. These complications are our brokenness. These complications are our fallenness. These complications are the mess that we are in. Kate Bowler was uh, with me up here a couple weeks ago, and she wrote this book that we've commended for a congregation-wide reading called It's a Beautiful, Terrible Day. And in one of the, I hope you're following along with this, in one of the episodes, uh, she talks about the fact that there's a reason there are so many books in the bookstore about habit formation and self-help. Like, there's a reason there are hundreds of books. It's just the, the reason is, like, habits are very hard to break. And then she adds, habits are very hard to form, too. Here's what she writes about this. Sometimes you have habits, and objectively, you don't like them very much. So you're, I don't know, you're bitterness or gossip or condescension or having a temper. Like, objectively, you know those aren't good, but then here's what she says, Lord, I've spent, she says, Lord, I, I cherish my addictions as friends. Lord, expose my great comfort with my favorite sins. Sustain my hope in your transforming love. And here's what I've been praying over and over lately. Lord, please convince me that you are dead certain that I'm capable of allowing you to save me from myself. Let me repeat that. Oh, Lord, please convince me that you are dead certain that I'm capable of allowing you to save me from, our, from myself. We're in the season of Lent. It began on Wednesday. We had uh, great services. You know, it was Valentine's Day also, parenthetically, so now we're trying to bridge the gap, kind of get both covered. So we, we, I was here at the 7 o'clock service, and I'd made a reservation right across the street at Volo for 7.45. Like, man, I'm, I'm, this is the brilliant plan. So we finished the service, and she meets me. We cross the street, and we get to Volo right at 7.45. I'm like, I'm Mr. Romantic. Got it going on. And, and the, the hostess says, uh, your table will be ready in you know, 25 minutes, maybe. And all of the holiness that I had built up in here <laughs> was like gone. That anyway, so we'll sit at the bar. So we sit at the bar. It's so cool. So the bartender's kind of chatting us up, and he keeps looking at Lisa's forehead. Finally, this is amazing, he reached out, and he touched her ashes and he made a cross on his own forehead. It was so cool. Lent. It's a focused season. It's a time of testing to shed our false props. Lent. Beautiful season, hard season. Sometimes I say during Lent, it's a good time to shut off your gadgets, and you should do this. Uh, humanity survived for centuries without the gadgets that we are addicted to. It's harder, isn't it, though, than to shut off your gadgets? It's harder to sh shut off the voices in your head and it's harder to shut off the uh, shouting from our culture. So hard. What we forget sometimes is what Brian Stevenson, uh, the great lawyer, he gets people off death row who've been wrongly convicted. That's amazing. He said his most famous quote, of course, is that, uh, I believe that each person is more than the worst thing they've ever done. 
I believe each person is more than the worst thing they've ever done. And we get confused about that because sometimes we hear about somebody and we know the worst thing they've ever done and we think, what a terrible person. Worse than that is we do it to ourselves. You're more than the worst thing you've ever done, but the worst thing you ever did weighs on you so heavily. It's hard to get there. Kate Bowler, again, I love this. Lord, I've spent so much time imagining my worst qualities that it's difficult to imagine that you numbered the hairs on my head. You painted my eyes this color. You soften at the sound of my voice. You, you have to think about these. You are not the bathroom scale. You are not my work evaluation. You are not my ex-partner. You are not my ex-friend. You know the best of me. You are my cheerleader and champion, my memory keeper, my favorite friend. Flood me with love because of who I am and who I've become and who you made me to be. The world is so loud, oh God, only you can convince me of how embarrassingly lovable I can be. Quiet the shame and doubt and self-hatred. I'm ready to feel your love again. I mean, that's what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. It's right there in the text that Marcia read. Jesus comes up out of the water, and a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved. And we know because of the way the gospel works, that not, that's just like God and Jesus, a little private conversation. That's what God says through Jesus to each one of us, to each one of you, you. I don't know what you're thinking. I can feel it. You're thinking, he's talking to the guy down the pew from me, or he's talking to who I used to be. But no, you, you are God's beloved. You're not a consumer. You're not a producer. You're not a player. You're not an unhappy person. You're not all those things. You, hear me, you are God's beloved. And that's the truth that defines what kind of church we're going to be. What kind of church are we going to be? We're going to be the kind of church where people know you are beloved. And I don't mean just the fine members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, although you guys indeed are beloved, but anybody that happens to walk in here, the message is clear. You are God's beloved. Even the people that would never, ever set foot in the church, our posture is you too are God's beloved. We are God's beloved. What kind of church are we going to be? I've told you this before, but I just have to keep repeating it because it's just become very important to me. Yeah, I'm, take, I'm taking people on, been taking people on tours of the new building that we're building, and uh, pretty soon we'll all be in there. And when people walk through the building, it's so cool. Nobody goes, eh, it's okay. People see the building, they go, wow. And then they start to talk about the possibilities. God could do this. We could do this. It's going to be so amazing. God, I love that conversation, but none of it will matter. None of that will matter if people don't walk in that building and clearly hear you are beloved by God. So the kind of church, I've said this before, I'll repeat it again, uh, is defined by, uh, you know, some churches, they make a terrible mistake, and it's so wrong. Churches decide we're, we're supposed to be the world's moral police. 
And they spend a lot of time talking about what's right and wrong. They're not really talking about what's right and wrong in here. They're judging people out there, telling them what's right and wrong. And what's uh, complicated about that is God doesn't ask us to do that. We're no good at it. We define some things as wrong that are actually good. We're just biased church people. So right and wrong. And then the most important thing is nobody out there cares what we have to say. Nobody out there is... I'm waiting on the church to tell me what is right and wrong, and when they tell me, I will do whatever they say. No, instead, people who are out there look at the church saying, we're the moral police of the world, and they say, you people are so hypocritical and judgmental, we will never, ever set foot in your place. Our message is to say you are beloved, and it's defined by the documentary, I've told you this before, that Lisa and I saw called Finding Harmony. It's about this choral conductor, the world shall be saved by choral conductors, of course, Coral conductor named David Brown. He goes to Springfield, Ohio. He's got hundreds of flyers. He's tacking them up everywhere. He's handing them to just anybody that comes by. And it says, come sing with us Thursday night at 7 o'clock. <laughs> and all these people show up. And they're tall and they're short and they're white and they're black and they're conservative and they're liberal. And it's amazing. And they all show up and, and they sing together. And it's just glorious. And then he says, you know, just, talk, just talk to your neighbor. And and tell them your story, and people are listening to stories of that people they've never heard before. I mean, the most striking one, I think, there's this big, he's a, little, he's a little scary, even on the TV screen. This man is so muscular, and he's like an arts conservative, and yeah, he's likable, you know, and he, and he's telling his story to this very small, frail young woman, and then she tells her story. She says, you know, he's never heard this from a human being. She says, I, I get confused sometimes about my gender identity. And his eyes get a little big, but she listens to him, he listens to her. And then they come to the big closing concert, and, and David Brown's asked her to have a solo of all people, and she's nervous, but she stands up and... She sings it, and, and it's this big guy who comes and embraces her. That's church. We say, come sing with us. Come tell us your story. We know it's a good story. We will listen to your story. We will love you and your story. Why? Because we know you are God's beloved, <laughs> and we are too. And there's just so much joy in being God's beloved together. It's the lesson of Lent. Thanks be to God. Well, let's go to God in prayer. Spirit of the living God, we gather in this space on this day as your people to worship you. We are here because you call us your own. We are here because you invite us to be in your presence and to be in the presence of one another. We are here because we seek to grow in love with you all the more and grow in love with our neighbors. Help us, guide us, and empower us so that we may live into the fullness of the family of God that you call us to be, to give witness to the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Some of us come to give thanksgiving. 
Some of us see all too clearly your guiding ways and your peaceful presence in our lives. We just know you to be there. Some of us feel your everlasting love so clearly. Yet, some of us gather here today because we are in desperate need to know you are here. Some of us are searching for a glimmer of hope, seeking guidance, and needing direction for our lives. Some of us do not know where to turn and who to turn to. For all gathered this day, no matter the reason, may we encounter your graceful presence with us now. May your church be an instrument that points the way toward you. And may we be the embodiment of your good news to all those who seek it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We are constantly tempted to see the world and see our lives through a distorted lens, not of yours, but of the world. We are tempted to resign ourselves toward violence to the unknown, to other our neighbors, to despair for the way things are. So may your church be the bridge to lead your people from these places of wanting toward the places of goodness and abundance. May we be the bridge that leads people from the way things are toward the place where things will ultimately be, where your will be done here on earth as it already is in heaven. So we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in full confidence and certain hope that your will be done in our lives and in your world as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we are yet again reminded that it is through God's continuous goodness and our collective generosity that we are able to engage in God's ministry the life of our church at 11 o'clock service there'll be three confirmants who will be baptized and we wanted to give special thanks for our youth ministry confirmation ministry every year we disciple anywhere from 80 to 100 eighth graders through this year-long journey of discipleship and learning and walking with God so it is with great thanksgiving that we receive our morning tithes and offering
Gracious God, with thanksgiving we offer these gifts to you. May these offerings become a source for hope for those who are in need in our church family and in the community beyond us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
Church family, I love watching you sing. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.